Stories within stories. Meanings that point upwards. The cross behind the camera. We're Josh and Brandon, and this is Crossover Collab, Director's Cut. It's definitely uh, Taxi Driver, one of those interesting movies that um, it's very hard to uh, understand, I think, what Scorsese wants you to walk away with in terms of like a moral. Mm. Um, like you, you're watching it the whole time from this guy's perspective and seeing all these actions he takes as they get more and more violent effectively. Uh, you see his dissatisfaction with society. You see the way he treats people and the way he views the world and all of that. And you reach that ending and it's like, it, is this meant to be something that I see as good or bad or somewhere in the yeah. middle? Yeah, that ending is... Um, I had to do a lot of research for that. And I ended up coming to a... Um, an inconclusion that's not a word in- there's inconclusive <laughs> yeah no it's part of my diction now i came to an inconclusion because nice. <laughs> well the only thing that i could conclude was that someone said i don't know what their source was that scorsese apparently said it's not some sort of dream sequence after he dies which is um what people assume yeah people are under the assumption that it's oh, he's died it's a dream state, and then it it's actually into, interesting like... that people would think that rather than like accept the um, that confusing reality where it's like, wait a minute, he's seen as a hero. I oh, think yeah. it, well... it's very interesting that people would rather go, no, it's it's a dream, and like he gets to <laughs> he gets to be rewarded for his violence in a dream state because that's how he sees the world. But actually, the world does reward him for effectively criminal behavior to to a degree I, I kind of understand it because of her behavior towards him at the end it's like she was disgusted with him particularly earlier in the film and now it seems like she's just hunky-dory and it's so yeah. i think that initial confusion for a moment i did wonder whether this was at, at least somewhat of a depiction of her in some way which Right. Who knows, might still be the possibility. But I actually, I just watched a final scene um, just before uh, calling as well, just to have it fresh in my mind. And oh, yeah. right at the end, before the credits roll, he does that quick little jolt towards the um, rear view mirror. Did you notice that, firstly? I don't know if I did, actually. Did you not? It's a split second. It's one of those <laughs> moments where if like, you blink, you probably miss it. Uh, um, right. Yeah, that literally, right it before. Was quite late. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's one of those really subtle um, decisions that Scorsese made, and it, I, it's just a simple movement of the the dynamic jolt in moving the and um, the mirror that I think the most that you at least get from that is he's not completely sane. There's still some sort of anger or this sense of this like monster inside that's still contained. And again, it's not one of those things that gives a clear conclusion, but from observing that you start to realize actually he's not quite in the same sanity as, as he was. Well, I don't know. You, mm. you can argue where sanity is at really, yeah. but I have read somewhere that I, it pretty much can the movie is somewhat on a cycle in terms of him like thinking that he serves society, but he hasn't. There's still someone in here, uh, inside him that's craving justice, that's angry, that's um, ready to do something and, and act out with violence. 
And so I assume it is indicating that he is going to go through another phase of violence. And I I don't know. It's, Mm. yeah, it's a very, it's a very ambiguous ending. Much more ambiguous than Inception for me personally. (laughs) Oh yeah, like for sure. Um, (laughs) uh, Well, so here's something that um, we were looking at in our lecture last week. Uh, Shout out to Stefan. Um, who was what, talking us through this? He showed us the opening scene, um, and it was cool because I'm, I watched this lecture just before watching the movie with my flatmate. So we had this stuff in our heads while we were watching it, and it kind of made things a little bit easier to process. But it was still like, hang on, why did he do that? Um, mm. But yeah, so we were looking at the opening sequence of this. Uh, really hazy image of New York. The camera's moving around a lot. It's very blurry. There's colors blending into each other everywhere. And the only thing that we see clearly are, um, what's his name? Travis's eyes. Um, yeah. And it's that super close up. Now, whenever mm. a super close up is used, when you're that close to someone, especially when you think about how big a cinema screen is, it is mm-hmm. always intentional from a director. If they go that close, it's because they want you not just to look at their eyes and their face, but to like look inside that character. Mm -hmm. So bearing that in mind, when you've got those two images next to each other, his eyes looking at the world, and then the world being really blurry and indistinct, those two things put together shows that he doesn't have a clear view of the world. Uh, now, throughout the movie, we see that it's this idea he has no purpose in life because he was a soldier, he fought in a war, he comes back, and society now has no purpose for him anymore, so he has to invent one. So he's like, fine, I'll just take a job. But then through that job, he sees the evil of society, and then he's like, it must be my purpose to cleanse the world of this evil because... I'm, I guess I'm the hero that this world needs. So he gives himself yeah. that purpose. But because, yeah, he's got that really ambiguous definition of the world, it, it means that he acts very arbitrarily. And like for him to at one moment, spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen Taxi Driver, but, you know, you have been warned. Um, it's a pretty old film now. <laughs> <laughs> pretty old. For, spoilers for a 50-year-old movie. Um <laughs> But um, yeah, like at the end, it's like he's about to kill, like assassinate the um, that uh, senator who's campaigning. Yeah, yeah. For he's about he's about to assassinate this politician. Yeah, and just decides against it because he reckons he'll get caught, and then ends up arbitrarily deciding to kill the pimp instead, and mm. gets rewarded as a hero, which is. Such an ironic ending, I think. But um, but yeah, yeah. The, just before I stray too far into that really interesting idea, uh, um, yeah. just to talk about uh, at the end when he's back in the taxi cab with the girl. Uh, what's her name again? Oh, man, I'm so bad at remembering character names. We'll just say the I'm girl the for now. Worst. Yeah, the girl. Apologies to everyone who thought that she was the best character in the film. Um, um, I'll Google it. Sadie, I think it's Sadie, but don't quote Sadie. me on that. Or maybe it's okay. not Sadie. But anyway, he's in the cab with this okay. woman. And again, everything is blurry and indistinct, except the rear view mirror, which has her image in. So it's that reflection of her. That's the only thing that he can see clearly now. And mm. now he's like happy with society because he's like got a girl kind of thing. Um, yeah. So it's it, that's the thing is like from the start to the end, it's like he's tried to find purpose in all these different things. And at the end, it's almost as if he can only have sa- true satisfaction by like kind of settling down and like embracing reality and the people around him rather than this kind of ambiguous, ill-defined kind of like society, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I'm... Um... I would respond instantly, but I'm I'm still trying to find this actress's name. Uh, I believe her name's <laughs> Betsy. Betsy, that's it. Yes, it's of Betsy. course. Okay. It's not Sadie. Good. No, <laughs> I knew that. I, yeah, yeah. Oh, there's a picture of her and Bruce Willis together. Did they date? 
oh my gosh, sorry, I'm going on like a full on <laughs> tangent from here. But this is pretty. Please excuse this small interruption. We are currently dealing with a lack of professional focus. Your attention is important to us. And now, we return to a more civilized conversation. Alright, let's refresh. Rethink, reskill, reboot. Let's go. Oh, not, it not endorsing that. No, let's let's just forget I said that and just go back to that <laughs> uh, amazing part in Taxi Driver, where um. So there's that bit where he's uh, stood in a crowd. I don't know if you noticed this, but um, he's stood in the crowd. I think it's when he's shaved his head. Um, mm. you'd think I'd remember that part the most, but um, it's mm. like he's he's gone through this dramatic like reinvention of his character. He's decided he is no longer uh, worried about his own life. He doesn't care about paying the bills, looking after himself, any of that. He is now singularly consumed by this idea that he has to be a hero for society by effectively like killing the evil in it, purging it, washing away all that rubbish, as he says at the start, like the rain. Mm-hmm. Uh, he sees himself as this natural force. He's no longer a man. He's no longer part of society. And the way that the uh, the framing of that scene reflects that is you've got this crowd of people stood together all cheering on the president and then he's stood very clearly apart from them and you can just see yeah. like it's almost as if there's this radius around him where no one will dare go because it's like he's not one of them. He's not part of society anymore. He's rejected it to the point where he like doesn't mix with it now, like oil and water kind of thing. Yeah, man, it's it's really interesting how you phrased that because it sounds very much like eugenics, and it's oh yeah, interesting. Yeah, like I've, I don't want to keep bringing him into our podcast. He's not what we focus on usually, but obviously, <laughs> the character, you know, Hitler, eugenics and stuff like that. Yeah, it's, it has that. I'd say that same kind of parallel where he his idea of doing good and it's scary because the reason they're doing it is because they have their own self um righteousness their self justice to yeah, be like yeah. i will make the world better by ridding it of evil and people and and i think that's where obviously when we reflect on um the person of christ it's really mm-hmm. interesting on these two perspectives of um looking at society you've got it in the the sense of eugenics you just want to get rid of the evil the corrupt and then you've got the love and accept for all and hence jesus died for us all but yeah i mean it's it's remembering that actually everyone particularly the person who is thinking and practicing eugenics is also part of the problem because if yeah. they were to to rid the the streets of filth and dirty people and stuff like that, as is it Teddy his name? What's his name? Um, oh, you're Teddy? thinking of the guy from Shutter Island. Uh, I am. I'm getting confused. Who's the protagonist's yeah, name? He's Travis Bickle. Travis. I knew it was a T. Yeah. So as Travis mentions earlier in the film about how it the place is kind of like dirty and unclean. That mm. obviously he doesn't realize that he's also part of that. Yeah, so if he yeah. does want to get rid of it, he's going to have to get rid of himself. Which, yeah, think, yeah. thinking about it, he technically does at the end. That, it's a, a huge thing as well. And I think um, it's, it's something that you see a lot in terms of like men's mental health. Where a yeah. lot of a lot of specifically men, because it's what you hear about more, to be honest, on the news of like these men who yeah. shoot up schools and shoot up religious buildings, and they they have already reached a point in their life where their personal life doesn't matter, and they can throw it away. Um, yeah. But they will take what they perceive to be the evil of the world out with them because they're unwell, and they see themselves as. Because they've separated themselves from society, this is what every kind of us and them argument does. It separates you from the problem so that you can look at the problem and because you're the one identifying the problem, 
the problem is therefore not with you is kind of the error that it makes. Yeah. So, you know, it happens when you point your finger at literally anything. Like, we don't have to name any particular thing, but, like, it, Mm -hmm. it is just, like, if if I am pointing the finger at something, it's kind of that that phrase I've heard said before: um, "People in glass houses shouldn't throw stones." And the idea oh, wow. that when when you start chucking those stones at things that you don't like, most yeah. of the time people do it with this pre-assumption that they are like, I guess, in a castle. For, to yeah. use that analogy, like they are from a morally defensible position. So, like with mm. these guys and. Um, I heard this quote quite a bit last week, so I looked this guy up because I was interested. Um, There was this quote that a couple of my friends sent me of um, man cannot remake himself without suffering, uh, for he is both the marble and the sculptor, which is a really interesting quote um, uh, by a guy named Alexis Carroll. Now, he was Hmm. into eugenics, and that um, he was looking at at this idea of... um, if society was more dedicated to um, helping the strong become stronger rather than helping the weak become normal, then society as a whole would improve and the weak would now become stronger. Now, yeah, right? And it's one of those things. I think the reason why it is so terrifying is because it makes logical sense. And from a certain moral standpoint, if you are looking from the perspective of we want to make society as good as possible, then you can be like, well, I guess it is for the greater good. Like if we neglect these people by not giving them healthcare or not giving them opportunities or like basically making everyone in society fend for themselves and then identifying the people who are the strongest and giving them all the resources and all the help to achieve their potential, then we will create more exceptional people at the cost of effectively like casting out anyone who doesn't fit that perfect mold, which is the mm. part that's so immoral is that you are causing so much more suffering as a result because yeah, you exactly. don't care about the individual. You only care about the exceptional. Um, exactly. So yeah, yeah that's, that's the thing. So but then looking again, at that quote, yeah, sorry, <laughs> go on. No, just to quickly like keep that thought in your head, but just, that quote there about the individual and the exceptional, I would argue that it's probably reversed because if they are taking a standpoint of eugenics, then I'd say that they are denying the exceptional and they're only thinking about themselves because what they're doing is they're familiarizing um, the people around them, the people that they, they want to grow, that they want to be part of a great society they're familiar mm. with their own character, but yeah. it's remembering that and G- uh, Jesus knew this very clearly from his disciples that actually you'll find that in a lot of what we consider the lowest society, if, if you get rid of them, you're probably losing the next Mozart or what do you call it? Uh, Michelangelo or stuff like that. You know, you, you're probably mm. missing out on, not to say that it's just about art either or just music. And, yeah. Well, the next Mother Teresa, the next Mahatma Gandhi, like yeah, exactly. Like like, that's what I'm saying. You know, the the amount of figures and potential that could be, that's already been found in what we consider to be the or what others consider to be law society. Mm -hmm. It's it's crazy, and it's like yeah, it's that idea of you know with you, Jake. You're it it becomes clockwork and machinery and if anything it's not only is it inhuman because it's heartless but because you're quite literally removing the humanity and the diversity of of a an entire collective of people by assuming that only one particular type is the correct and perfect vision of what humanity is and yeah. it's like actually and who gets to decide that exactly well. yeah exactly and obviously you know that people could argue, well, technically God has a perfect image of what a human being should be, but that's the beauty of it. It's it's this, and I don't, I don't even think we can necessarily, necessarily define it. It's not necessarily to do with the characteristics become a criteria. 
but I think it's the idea at love is a criteria at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. It's about how we can still be completely diverse individuals, yeah, but still be um still fit the image of God and still be um a collective part of of his family and his kingdom and still hold our um own attributes. So obviously mm. something like again with like the eugenics of Nazism, it was um the perfect male was obviously blonde, blue eyed, um tall, and, and you know, they hold all obviously. those like obviously. Obviously. You know, and it's just like it's those attributes of yeah, you could be obviously dark hair, dark skin, different eye colour. The ob- obviously that does not clear as day, it doesn't determine who you are as a person. Yeah. And it's definitely Yeah, sorry, that was a tangent. Continue well, what your I mean, point was. <laughs> um it it is a good thing you bring up actually, because mm-hmm. just to like bring that part to a close, I guess, the um idea of like diversity in humans and that there is no like if if we're looking at this idea that god had in mind like the human image like this perfect human kind of idea then surely it would always be a a diverse collective because Mm -hmm. like if, if if god says in genesis 1 let's make man in our own image and then he made man in his own image. Like, first off, we have no idea what Adam's ethnicity, build, eye color. We have no idea yeah. what Adam looked like. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the, this idea that like if God is infinite, then if he created humans to be an expression of himself, and then he says to the first mm-hmm. humans, go forth and multiply what purpose could that be other than to represent the infinite nature of God through an endless yeah. number of people who are each, even though they try and generalize each other and put each other into categories and boxes and whatnot, no matter what, each one is an individual and has, uh, it was something I was thinking about on my walk back from uni today um, because, you know, I had a lot of time to myself just to stroll and uh, be out of everyone's way and just like look around and, um, as I was going past uh, the Hyde Park area of Leeds um, and not getting mugged for all those people in Leeds <laughs> who know what it's like to be in Hyde Park, I, it Sounds was broad good. daylight. No worries. Uh, it's <laughs> when it's at night that you've got the problem. You should never go oh, there. Um, oh, but no, I was walking along like the main road um, and saw on my right all these houses. And I just looked and it's only like a little pocket of houses, but I guess you'd call it like a, like a suburb or like an inner city kind of area. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so I could just look and see like a, an area of houses. And I just thought to myself, like every one of those houses has an individual person or family that lives there. And each one of those people has a completely unique perspective on the world, a completely unique way yeah. of looking at things that no matter how much anyone else says, oh no, they're they're just like Santa Santo, or they just think like this, or they follow this ideology or whatever, like no matter how much you say that, you can't take away the fact that that individual is an individual, and they will, even if it's just the slightest little thing, they'll have something that makes them unique, and oh, yeah. and that's the thing I think when we look at this idea of like in Taxi Driver, how he wants to purge the the evil that's in the world and the fact that yes he sees the evil and it's good that he can acknowledge the moral deficiency in society i think that's something that we need to be critical to do and like look at society and unashamedly say like yes there is bad stuff in it and it needs yeah, fixing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. but to not like throw out all of that individuality along with it to exactly, to yeah. go actually these people they don't know what they're doing. Jesus was right about that. Like people are clueless when it comes to evil and sin and what they do mm-hmm. with their lives and the errors oh, that yeah, they make right. and the mistakes. It's like people have All no idea. Do you think anyone yeah, has literally. any idea? Um, exactly. And so, yeah, you can't like just deny that individual, the ability to be that unique expression of God without, yeah, like, yeah, you just can't. Yeah, yeah, I <laughs> um, agree. Yeah, 
and it particularly yeah. brings to question the um the trauma and the impact brought upon from their um violent pasts and i say mm. there because again a few characters uh, come up that we've already talked about again don't i don't even want to bring them into conversation anymore but i do think it's necessary um obviously hitler he was in the first world war um that was something that probably very much influenced uh, violent behavior and a way of looking mm. at the world in terms of purging it with violence yeah if and fixing that, the uh, like economy and stuff as well that was a big thing for him he saw how badly yes. his country was affected by one war and was like right we're gonna make it the best country in the world and then ended up yeah. creating another war how ironic exactly that's it that and it's the irony of that because you look at again shutter island that we've just previously talked about where you understand that he was a, a marshal and uh, his background of violence led to well something else kind of led to him killing his wife but it's it's at least questioning the idea of he's a trained killer he's ju- and his wife's just killed his um children so his violent tendencies hmm end up making him kill his wife, which makes him the most violent um, prisoner with, uh, within Shutter Island. Then, of course, you look at um, essentially almost a future depiction of loneliness and insanity with Joker. You see yeah. that actually his um, experiences with violence have also triggered actions and behaviours of violence within himself as well. So, yeah. uh, And again, we, we look at Taxi Driver which influenced um, Joker as well to be like, actually, we see that he's he was in Vietnam. He does have um, this training and this, yeah, this kind of conditioned way of looking at humans and seeing how actually, particularly going to Vietnam, he, at the end of the day, he's been trained to see the death of another person as a means towards peace. So. Yeah. You know, it's that kind of perception. And I mean, that's a conversation within itself um, in terms of how death and suffering can, you know, contribute towards possible peace. But I think it's it's definitely something to look and question and at least partially understand and possibly sympathise with uh, the main character in that actually in such a traumatic experience... He has been conditioned um, to see human beings and the suffering of human beings to be a means towards a more peaceful end. But mm. unfortunately, it didn't go all that well for him. So. Yeah, that's definitely a, a huge thing. Um, so yeah, just looking at that uh, Alexis Carroll quote again, the um, man cannot reinvent himself without suffering, for he is both the marble and the sculptor. Um, I feel like that really applies a lot to this film, this idea of a, an individual who effectively has all this unused potential and all this, well, it, it they keep referring to how young he is, like all the adults around him. Well, not adults, but the more elderly people, I suppose, mm-hmm. his seniors. Yeah. They all talk to him like, uh, oh, you're still young. You've got all, your whole life ahead of you. Just do something with your life. Like, do something. Um, you Like, whatever you uh, want. Yeah. Get yeah. get drunk. Do this. Mm-hmm. Do that. And all that. Like, um, it's just all this potential that he doesn't know what to do with but all these other people in society are like man i wish i had your youth i wish i had that potential to be able to do whatever i wanted with my life because now it's too late for all those people who've already decided that they're on the path that they're on and they have to follow it to its end whether they want to or not but he's still at that age where he like has nothing but potential and so for him he's like 
looks at life and has this crisis because he doesn't know what he is and what he's meant to be. Um, and that idea, uh, which I think is really ironic in the film, when uh, everyone, well, not everyone, there's that one character who uh, talks about how you are what your job is, um, which I think is something we could really dive into, actually. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, very much. Like, there's this kind of irony in the film where uh, it's like, you know, if, if you're a taxi driver for long enough, you are a taxi driver. That is what you are. You become a taxi driver. You adopt the traits of a taxi driver. And the film, of course, is called Taxi Driver. That's how we remember Travis Bickle. We remember him as a taxi driver. But at the end, I don't know if you remember the article that he has on his wall that says Taxi Driver Hero. Yeah. That's what he becomes. Wow. That's the job that he becomes. He fills this void of potential with, all right, I'm just going to do this job. And then he sees this evil, as we mentioned before. He has this philosophy of, ah, oh, something, some natural force some divine force, some righteous force should just come and wash away all of that evil. And then he's like, you know what? It could be me. And then he takes the idea of this taxi driver, this person who effectively has power over the city of New York in the form that they take people backwards and forwards and they see the individual and they get these little snippets of life from all over the city and he t- uses that as a platform and he's like well what if i you know became this hero this vigilante sort of thing took matters into my own hands what if i was the rain that washed away all the evil and as we mm-hmm. see society just laps it up because he he kills the right people effectively right oh man that is some deep territory i i really wanted to highlight the point you made about the pressure of particularly the older people um, saying that you've still got so much uh, to do, their time is gone. Hmm. I mean, watching it, this is, what is it? Is it 70s, 80s film? Yeah, I, I think it's... Oh, I think it's... In between? Late 70s. Late 70s, big question mark. Yeah, Maybe I, well, 79, but don't quote me on that. Yeah, uh, no, I, 76, 76. 76, I was going to say, I, I know it's late 70s, but yeah, I weren't too sure. That makes sense. Um, but yeah, he's a still, he's a young looking fellow, but he's older than us. Now, if we look at our generation and the immense pressure on youth to have our lives together at such a young age, yeah. there's been like a very, there's been a very scientific study on how, a lot of people now, there's not just midlife crisis, there's quarter life crisis. Yeah, so, right. That makes which a lot is of sense. mental. So, like, people our age are going through a crisis where they think that they're not succeeding in life, that they're getting too old, mm. and it's crazy, man. Because like, even like in our parents' age, people in their twenties were literally just starting life. They're getting into what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, and I think that we definitely need to remember that, you know, I've just graduated uni. You've still got like technically two years left of it. Not mm. one. Oh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you know, you've still got time in that left. I got time. Have, you got time. You know, there's just there's so much room to grow. I've only real me and actually me and my friend Chris, we just literally um, were talking about this last night after we went to see Tenet. And it was mm. how, for some reason, the second that we graduated uni, we just had a clearer sense of looking at the world. And we don't know quite what it is. And I'm not going to spend too much time trying to pinpoint it either. But it's really, um, it's a humbling experience to step outside of uni particularly the entire time thinking that I had to get something together by the end. I had to come up with a great project or or start a company or have a big <laughs> job by the end of it. And it's crazy yeah. how a lot of people assume that you've failed if you don't have a job lined up after yeah, university. Yeah. And as I've said, because of circumstances, I'm possibly working at little. I've got an interview. I'm going into work that I don't really want to go into for now. But I feel more humbled and at peace with myself right now because 
as a 21-year-old, almost turned 22, I've realized that there's still a lot of potential and a lot of, a lot of, lot of years for um, things to grow, um, things to achieve and going through seasons of change as well. And and as you said, it's not that a certain career is going to define you. Um, And it's just accepting that idea of that pressure should not be handed to us, that we, we have to do something fantastic in the world that we have mm-hmm. to find a job that that makes great money or we have to find that thing that makes us famous or we're going to get to a certain age and then so and then suddenly that's going to just define us yeah you know i've heard i've heard a lot of this is one great thing that i have heard in church and that's like even people like 50s 60s they're still being told you definitely have potential to do something great. Just because mm. you think that you're going towards the end of your life, it does not mean that something can't change or happen, that something won't come along and shift the tide. Like there's there's so much possibility. And like I said, this was made in the 70s and you've got this. I don't think it was quite aiming for the idea of like, young generations being pressured as such i think it really is just a part an element of the loneliness yeah society but i think it's something to certainly extract and yeah. actually observe particularly in our generation to be like yeah we need to not let these um things particularly our careers define us yeah well um, honestly like i i would agree like um I, if you think like the the typical church example of like abraham you know when he finds mm-hmm. out when he's 80 like he's gonna have a son and if you yeah, think exactly. of, about that whole thing of like how that completely changes someone's life starting a family and yeah um, that's true you know you always hear it from your parents don't you like you'll never know what it's like until you're there yourself because it just like changes your life completely like it's a whole new oh, perspective yeah. living for someone else's benefit now as well as your own and the mm-hmm. idea of legacy and all that but yeah, like um, I definitely agree. It's it's um, it's an ingredient of the movie. I think that idea that he's pressured to become something, and after Vietnam, all he's got is the knowledge of how to kill people and how to survive. And then yeah. he's told, "You gotta do something with your life. You gotta you got all this potential. Don't just don't just be like us. Be be something you know unique. Be something special." And when he says, "Like oh, I can think of a bunch of," bad things to do right now and it's yeah, like yeah. because yeah you take someone you isolate them and you put this pressure on them to become something when they've got no one around them that's like actually feeding into them and like helping them grow as a person and helping them understand the world and like putting them at ease when they're you know when they face the evils of the yeah. world reminding them of the good of the world he doesn't have that. And he tries to get that at the start in the form of, uh, you know, of Betsy, um, mm-hmm. how he like tries to court her. But again, like from being in Vietnam and I think his genuine general temperament, he's not exactly the best boyfriend. Um, so like he doesn't have that support and he's not able to support her either. He doesn't really, yeah doesn't really care about her um it's that uh, that uh, thing that's in a lot of um yeah. that kind of genre you know that kind of film where it deconstructs this idea of when men effectively impose their ideals onto a woman and they treat them as this romanticized view of love rather than a person and yeah. the idea that as soon as things go wrong it's like he no longer sees her as this girl dressed in white um, because yeah. now he's got to know the real person who's nuanced and he can't handle it, so he rejects it. Uh, well, she ends up rejecting him, I guess, because, yeah. you know, it, she just sees that there's something not right about him and the way he sees the world. Yeah. Uh, but that actually he finds that content at the end of the movie when he makes things right with her and is able to then, I guess, see the world clearly through her. But yeah, like yeah. that that combination of loneliness, lack of purpose, and then pressure to find purpose. Um, yeah. We've had all those people, 
you know, um, with the, for, for all the UK listeners over here, I think we've been edging towards it and too scared to mention it. So I'm just going to just going to straight up um, the that advert that came out uh, yeah, from the cyber company. So ill received by so many, because, again, it's that, that idea, you know, pressuring people into, yeah, yeah and into like get a job in cyber and people yeah, don't exactly. want to. But I would say as well, on the other side, you, if all these people who are like, you know, um, defensive of the arts, which I think is a huge thing. The arts definitely should be defended. Um, I don't know if they always need defending because I think they'll always be around. But mm. you've got to have people who are advocating for art in order to make good art, I suppose. But there'll That's always be that element in society. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I, I think the what we've been talking about and what you've been mentioning about how uh, how dangerous it is to effectively judge yourself as being set role, set job, and then when that fails to now be like, who am I? What am I? What's my purpose? And have yeah. that complete breakdown again. Um, yeah. I feel like that's that kind of played into that issue a bit where you've got all these mm. people who are like, I'm going to be an artist. That is who I am. That is my function. I will make art of whatever form, mm. music, dance, song. I said music and song. Uh, arts, <laughs> filmmaking, anything, you name it. Um and defining yourself by that and then like oh no society's pressuring me to be something that isn't that that now conflicts not just with my ideals or my future or you know the job i want to do it now conflicts with my identity and i've yeah. become so rooted in the fact that i am an artist that if someone dares say that i can't be an artist or that i shouldn't be an artist or that being an artist might not be the wisest decision for my life economically or whatever to just instantly like get on the defensive because it's like you are you are attacking my character. Um, yeah, and that, yeah. that's a huge thing that I see a lot in today's world. I think it's kind of been there a lot. Like, you know, it, mm, it's one okay. of these things where in the 21st century, we have the privilege of those tiny little problems with identity hundreds of years ago are now magnified because we've got only yeah. time to talk about them and to investigate them. It's very true, actually. Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting how some artists, and I mean, I'm right on the on the bandwagon in terms of being infuriated by the advert. Oh, yeah, understandably. A hundred percent. But it is, it, it's a curious question because... I think a lot of artists are very used to adapting or go, going along with the process. And so I think if it was the idea of changing from what you consider one passion and, and transitioning into another, I think that is more understanding because, I mean, I myself, when I first went to university, I was solely focused on, on identifying myself as a choreographer that's yeah. what I wanted to do. That's what all I think I could do. I've found myself being interested and probably better at performing, even though I'm interested in choreography. Uh, not only just within dance, throughout uni, I ended up doing a lot of music. It didn't mm. really go that well, but I learned to at least try it, experiment with it, and yeah, discover yeah. what I could through that. And then what I've realized actually weirdly coming out of university is this um, passion and gift for writing and it's it's still within it's still artistic but it is far from what i particularly identify myself as so but I, again I, i've seen a lot of people throughout university even transition from um, one area of art to another so i don't know it's questioning that i think it's not necessarily the the transition from one form of identity to another i think it's this great pressure to base i think it's this pressure of saying what you do as a general does not work and mm. i think there's just an ever so slight subtle difference um yeah, I can't yeah. quite identify but it's 
I don't know. I feel like it's an absolute underappreciation. But yeah, yeah. As you've kind of said, though, it's like, see, the thing is, you're going to have people like Taxi Driver who use violence and basically terrorism to stand up and make a point. And we see that through tons of, well, not just even storytelling, but, um, you know, articles and media. Mm. But I'd say the next uh, type of people who protest and who fight for stuff like this and rights are artists. Yeah, yeah. And there's obviously a very big difference between a protester, a particularly a peaceful protester, and a terrorist. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's a very safe place to make a protest as well because mm -hmm. half the people who are engaging with that, unless you're writing something that is expressly politicised, but um, if you veil it with metaphor and things, people can engage with the story and be convinced of your point or at least think about your point without Mm. ever getting on the defensive because like um we talked about with inception uh they like think it was their idea uh Mm. because they've experienced this thing and then they walk away from it and go oh you know what i've just had this idea and it's like well that's the idea that the storyteller wanted you to think about at the very least um yeah so yeah absolutely it's a huge platform for protest yeah, yeah, it really is. And um, I think it's actually really funny and interesting how how it has been shared over all social media platforms um, and how big of a controversy it is. What a lot of people have done, which I've loved, it's been brilliant, is everyone's shared, um, photoshopped and edited versions of that ad. And I think that's like, it's like an inside joke because... <laughs> We're basically sharing this ad that's being altered by artists to convey just how ridiculous the statement is and mm. basically saying um, maybe, maybe Boris's uh, next job is in Tesco's. He just doesn't know it yet. You know, stuff <laughs> like that. It's it, I think it's really interesting how, just how the art community is just kind of how some people have handled it. Um, how most people have handled it, I think, in that they've actually used what has been criticised to make a statement, to respond to it. Um, Yeah, yeah. Which kind of validates art as a thing by going, we're using it as a tool to, like, kick back against something that has offended yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. And I think Oh <laughs> I will note that the advert wasn't targeted just at the arts. Uh it was targeted at like any sector. Uh they apparently oh, yes. Yes. they released multiple ones like builders, hair Did dressers, they? all sorts. Uh, well, I say all sorts. I think it was like maybe three or four. I didn't see the original, you see. I only heard about the second hand. Uh, the Again. one that got shared around was the ballet dancer because the arts already feel mm. like they're under attack. So well, anything on. that furthers that agenda anymore is That's like, true. yeah, people will not stand for it. This is what was um, talked about on the social dilemma. It was basically how, like, again, social media will, um, it can convey a lot of, not just fake news, but limited news and um, yeah. <laughs> biased news towards you. And hence, since social media, particularly in the last 10 years, political polarization has just increased Whoa. with left-wing being more left-wing, right-wing being more right-wing. Because, And it, it made so much sense because I've, um, in terms of American standards, because I've, I've been over there quite a bit, you've got a lot of Democrats and me sort of there with them going, are the Republicans stupid? How are they not seeing all this information? And then you've also, I've also communicated with some Republicans that have literally said the same thing about uh, yep. Democrats. And the reason is, it's because they're literally not seeing all the information. <laughs> it's because uh, when they open up Facebook or Instagram, yeah. they're not seeing it all. So... What you've just said, man, is being quite mind-blowing to me because I was not aware of that. I assumed I was only the arts. And that's where it's, it is particularly interesting with that because while 
it's still valid. And while I don't feel that art should be attacked, it does create a bigger context, though, doesn't it? It does. Mm. Not to say that they were right to advertise that at all, but it does um, soften the blow ever so slightly. Yeah, and like... It's a company that's been trying to promote, alongside the government, trying to promote uh, that sector for years now. And you can go on their mm. website. They have all sorts of like funded schemes where it's like, get a job in cyber and we'll give you like effectively a student loan, but it's not a loan. Well, a grant. There we go. We'll give you like a grant to, really? to learn how to get... It's like, because it's, it's like computers. They scare so many people. But the people who know how to use them are like the engineers of the future, effectively. Like you can do so much with computers and robotics and technology. And oh. so that's why they're they're mm-hmm. pushing that. They pushed it at the wrong time and in the wrong way mm-hmm. and to the wrong mm-hmm. people. But you can understand, you know, you can understand where yeah. they came from, but I, I think pulling it off the internet mm. before too many people, too many people yeah, could get annoyed about it for too long. Uh, could happen, yeah. But with with all this in mind... Cyber.com. I'm joking. I'm so joking. I I, I won't. I will never. I just paid over nine grand a year. (laughs) So... um, A skill that I'm being told is now useless. No. (laughs) Yeah, honestly. So, but yeah, continue. (laughs) Yeah, with with all this in mind, this idea, you know, we've looked at um, Taxi Driver from this idea of he doesn't see society clearly. He's being pressured to use his potential. He doesn't know what he is, well, what his identity is. And then we've mm-hmm. also looked at this idea of man reinventing himself and going through a process of suffering in order to do so. Now, mm-hmm. the last kind of thing I wanted to touch on was this idea that why it ultimately fails for him is because he's the one who does the sculpting, like that quote said. Yep. And we believe as Christians that actually our job is to be the marble, but we believe in a sculptor in the form of God. And uh, it is in Jeremiah, going to say chapter 18, um, because that's all I remember from memory. I haven't like got a Bible open in front of me now. So I yeah, I'm like that. Don't worry. On that. But it's yeah. around that ballpark for anyone interested. Mm-hmm. Um, he uses this analogy of uh, a potter's field and the idea that um, God was talking to Israel at that time, but it's one we can apply to ourselves, this idea that we are God's clay and he is the potter and that he can effectively, for his people, for the, his elected people, he can shape them the way that he sees fit and the clay, because it is only clay, has no right to protest against the master craftsman Mm-hmm. And say that oh you did it wrong i was meant to be a jug not a ball and the potter mm-hmm. goes no i intended for you to be a jug and you will do a, f- a mighty fine job of being a jug um and we believe the same as christians that actually putting our identity in our job or our race or our gender or anything that isn't in god is ultimately going to bring us pain because mm-hmm we are focusing on something that isn't the main thing and yeah and this idea that in society we have we have such a big focus on reinventing ourselves of as you've talked about a lot before this hustle culture that we're in yeah. uh the idea you've got to do something you've all this pressure that's around telling us to do something to make something of ourselves to reinvent ourselves and that ultimately we are going to fail to do that or to fail to find happiness in that because mm-hmm. it's not our job to do the sculpting. And that whatever exactly. we are sculpted into, we as Christians can find happiness and purpose because we know who is in charge of our lives, who's looking over and going, yep, this is good. Maybe a little nudge here, maybe smooth out some yeah, yeah, yeah. here. Uh, but yeah. And this idea, I suppose, where we're not just—it's not just God being like, "Ah, I decided from the day before they were born yeah, that yeah, yeah. they are going to become a composer, or they're going to become a filmmaker, or they're going to become a plumber." <laughs> um, yeah. But actually, he decided from the day before we were born 
that is someone who I am going to slowly help conform more to the image of God, of Jesus. Yeah, yeah. And that Agreed. they will resist sometimes. And I think that's the difference we have with the clay is that we can sometimes resist and we can go, no, mm-hmm. I want to shape myself or I want to let society shape me or I want to let this specific person or idea shape me. But mm-hmm. that actually when we let God shape us, that is ultimately the thing that creates more purpose, more happiness, and I think more peace with our lives that we can just go, yeah, okay. Obviously, our life is still in our hands to an extent. We're still the the moral agents. We're the ones who, at the end of the day, we put in the work, we do the things. But um, remembering that actually God's divine hand is there shaping our lives and helping us get through it. Agree, man. Um, I really want to just clarify on that as well, particularly for people who may see that as a form of eugenics to just clarify that in terms of God sculpting us, again, it, it's it's not conveying that we are to be a complete perfect archetype of um, what is to be considered um, a person in the image of God, but it's with still holding on to our free will at being mm. in, it's a very great area to be like, we're not, I don't think we're, there's, a pinpointed exact figure of who we're meant to be, but at least a it I guess it's like if you've got a target and it's not necessarily yeah. hitting the bullseye, but it's just at least hitting the target. And I think it's the idea of like, okay, uh, if if you obviously um are intimate with me and here in what I have planned uh for you and in store for you, then we can get on this path of of getting um you to where I have called you to. Now, I do think that seasons change if someone decides to go and do their own thing. And I think this shows the beautiful nature of God because although we may decide to form ourselves in a different way, obviously if we confess our sins and go, do you know what, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing. I think he has the mercy and compassion to go, I know, this isn't what I intended to do for at first, but let's start afresh. So let's go on to somewhere that will benefit you from this point on. And that obviously dives into the theme of redemption and mm. forgiveness. Um, but I think I, I think I just wanted to clarify for people listening oh, that yeah. it's not yeah. it's which we obviously know it's not the case. But I, it's not this idea of he has this perfect person planned, um, and then we utterly conform to a specific kind of identity. But it is the it's essentially the the kind of person um, that we're we're constantly growing um, yeah. to be. It, it is to be, it, it, in the most basic terms, it's to simply be a person of faith, love, um, commitment, intimacy, and compassion. And obviously, without individ- individuality, it's how we get to be that with God, and as we've touched on before that doesn't mean that we're going to look the same you know like if we're going to categorize it i can hold the exact same attributes as you who is a godly person however we may have that in different ways for instance yeah yeah in term like particularly in terms of um like pra- like praise and worshiping there's i personally love to to dance and that could be uh, an artistic expression of or even writing is an artistic artistic expression of my love and intimacy towards God. And Mm. that can be characterized in the same way is that you have love and intimacy with God, but you may use your uh, composition, your um, musical composition. And so you have these two elements of our characters, but they still hold the same attributes. Yeah, yeah. Um, They both come from that desire to like affirm God and glorify God. And yeah. So yeah, that's like um I I guess that that's why um we use the, the idea of pottery rather than uh, yes. rather than like I don't know, well never mind. It's a continual process. It's hot. yeah. It's exactly. It's we're continuous. Born, yeah, we're, we're not born as like this perfect idea, which I think is one of those things that with the eugenics argument 
is so mm-hmm. fatal is that like, oh, well, some people are born off weak. It's like, well, yeah, everyone's born off weak. That's the system mm-hmm. that we operate under. Everyone yeah. is everyone is born as an unfinished creation, something mm-hmm. that starts off with all of this boundless potential to mm-hmm. become potentially the most perfect thing, but that yes. somewhere along the way we fail we mess up we are a blemished imperfect creation and then when we decide to put our faith in god it's almost like the potter like putting a brand or something or a stamp on on that work and like right it's a new thing let's start over let's remake it um and that's what we believe when we say like anyone who's in christ is a new creation the old is gone the new has come Um, and this idea that this failed mess that we will always turn into because we are human and we won't get it all right is then effectively thrown away. And that, well, not thrown away, I suppose the clay is reused and reshaped and remolded to something new and something that you can recognize. Like I, I, this was something that came to me as well. Like uh, clay, uh, it dries right over time. You work on it while it's wet. And then as soon as it dries and you've baked it, that's it. It's done. You can't change it without snapping a bit off and breaking it. Um, yeah. I feel like that's what our lives are, is that right. Like right now we are malleable clay that can be molded right up until the point that we die, at which point we are thrown in the fire of God's judgment and we emerge either as righteous or unrighteous. And hmm. by God's definition... That is a very, very slim, imperceptible line where, you know, you've made one mistake, that's it, unrighteous, throw it out kind of thing. It's got a single dent in the pottery, like, throw it out. Whereas when we accept Jesus' perfection and his righteousness and and ask him to make us new and for us to be born again, there's that idea that when the clay is put into the fire, it comes out as something that is recognizably jesus and god can look at it and go yeah that's a sign of jesus and his redemptive work and that perfection but yeah like all the way up until that point we've got our whole lives to decide whether that's what we want to be or not Um, Oh, exactly that's it and you know we can do the molding ourselves but i haven't seen many uh pots that have made themselves yeah that's it um that's it it's of course, yeah. At the end of the day, in order for us, and our aim, particularly now, isn't to be perfect because we we are unachievable of it. But if we mm, are going to at least yeah. aim for that, we need a source of perfection. Because like, there's tons of analogies to kind of link to this. The, the only one that's come into my head is it's so random, but I guess it shows a point, even though it's a bit extreme. Um, was a drug addict cannot be their own therapist like yeah you, you know what i mean like that idea or like you said a clear can't form itself uh a taxi driver I, I, can't cure the evils of society on his own <laughs> exactly that's what i'm saying yeah that's it there's lots of ways of understanding it and i had another one but i can't remember right now um and so yeah we do need a, a, a form of a source of uh perfection but mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I like this point that we're we're talking about how it is uh, the seasons. It's a constant renewal. It's a constant um, development. And no, we're not going to reach perfection because if it was eugenics and we were expected, particularly now, to reach this source of a, a, a completely idealized source of perfection, firstly, we wouldn't even exist. I think we'd be instantly removed from existence. Secondly, we'd still be following the law, um, and but because God is loving and gracious, we even as messed up, warped individuals, we are still made um, new and good and developed in Jesus. So, I mean, j- literally the the death and resurrection of Christ is such a clear. I think it is the biggest argument against what people will consider god to be um a god of eugenics or and you know trying to form this perfect image to be like well christ even though 
God in himself has no image and like you said is infinite in terms of um perceivability. The fact that Christ comes as literally a man in the most simplest form. Mm-hmm. He has his own attributes, his own characteristics, which show that he is quite um different and he loved and surrounded himself with people that still were different than him and he died for every single person that as you said it evil as they could be you know that he yeah. he still died for them and so no there is not the sense of um trying to live for a perfect image at the end of the day and this yeah. is what religion does a lot it's this idea of we people we man have got to be in the perfect image of god and reach up to him like reaching for the sun and this is where jesus is just so beautiful because it's the complete opposite it's about god reaching down to man it's yeah. about god coming down to man's level and saying i'm right here with you i will save you i will forgive you because you are trying you are like taxi driving that you are trying to do things in your own way and trying to form yourself and, yeah. and it seems to be no other way to do it i will come down and die for you so that you can still be you not necessarily in a sinful sense, but you still be you. You aren't going to be perfect, but I still love you and accept you. And mm. um, that's a beauty of it, man. That's yeah, man. I so, think the world would like us to believe that there is a system that can be perfect or that we can ever reach a point where society can look back at our gruesome history and go, mm-hmm. yep, we're we're free of that we are purified of that through our own strength we have finally evolved as a as a world and as a mankind and have become something greater and we now have no flaws and everyone gets on and there is no evil in the world well where does god fit into that picture like effectively Mm -hmm. a perfect human society is, is either a godless society or a society that has now been redeemed by God. Um, yeah, exactly. So yeah, like that. That's why I think with stuff like Taxi Driver, when he's got nothing outside of himself to rely on for that perfection, he's like, "Well, I've got to, got to make this world perfect. I've got to cleanse it of the imperfection and make it good again." And he just can't. And we'll always be yeah. striving towards that, and there will always be evil as long as the world exists in its current form until God comes back to fix it all. It's going to be broken. And as long as it is, we'll have that ability to look at it and see it for what it is and go, there must be more than this. There must be something coming to fix it soon. Right. There must be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. That's it. And I think at the end of the day, it was the origin of it all anyway, was the idea of, denying God as the ultimate source of goodness and perfection and taking on our own ideals. And so Mm. I think as long as we, and this is the importance of denying ourselves, and it doesn't mean in terms of like hating ourselves in any way at all. Like I think there's this misconception of it, but this idea of denying ourselves, accepting that we are fully broken, that we certainly are not the source of perfection. So why are we trying to perfect ourselves from a source of imperfection. So I think it's taking a stance of going, you know what, I am broken. I identify and understand that I am broken. And so I look towards he who isn't broken, who is perfect and um, taking it from there. And it's just a constant journey. Started talking, thinking I knew where I was going, and I was like, I actually have no idea where, where the sentence is going. Literally, the one time I don't put my thing on Do Not Disturb, I, I personally feel. What up? What up? What up? What up? What up? Okay. This is a really professional episode. It's better to acknowledge it than just ramble on. I'll edit all the cringy bits out. This is even a mod where in between finishing that little bit and then going into this one could even put like a quick um sample of music in to separate it or whatnot that's actually really sick